So, you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that at home in your warm, comfortable bed than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later, right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep-In Podcast. Now, you'll still miss out on some things we think are pretty cool, like intergenerational community and singing and cute little children, and we won't be able to give you any treats after church, but we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada, the biggest little city in the world. We're not theological experts or homiletical harbingers of a brand new age. We're your average pastors, helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast so that if you're away from home or working, perhaps you've moved far away from us, or maybe you're just coaching your kid's soccer team or sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Shout out to Michael Perry, who told me he's been enjoying the podcast from Pennsylvania. Woohoo! Hey, Michael. Yay. We miss you. Yeah, so each episode is a conversational version of a sermon one of us gave on Sunday. And wherever you are when you're listening to this and whatever you're up to, we hope that you will keep an open mind and an open heart. And we're serious about that open mind and open heart. And we really want you to use both. As you consider what we're saying, you don't have to agree, but we do, we do invite you to figure out what you think. And in the midst of all of that, we hope that you will experience the mysterious loving force we know in the world as God moving in your life as you consider this. So Susan, we did not talk about the baptism of the Lord. We're slowing it down a little because I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks coming mm-hmm. up soon. And so we talked about Epiphany. Epiphany. Epiphany celebrates the end of the 12 days of Christmas, Yep. which come after Christmas. All of the Hallmark rom-coms who get this wrong, wrong. over Or the over sales of the day, and the 12 over, days of sales. And or over the... again. It's not December 13th to December 25th. Most guys don't start shopping until December 24th anyway. Right. It's the 12 days after, which you should also give us sales for. Yes. So it's December 25th to January 6th. January 6th is the epiphany. And it is the day that we celebrate the wise ones or the magi or the three kings Kings. or however you think of that. Yep. Those guys showing up. Yep. So we talked a little bit uh, with the kids at Children's Time about how many things do you know about Jesus? Okay. Okay. And they named a few things. Mm-hmm. I was very proud. More than I thought they would know. Okay, good. Uh, and I said, cool. Who knows everything about Jesus? And nobody raised their hand. And I said, if you learned five more things about Jesus, do you think you would know everything? He said, no. If you learned <laughs> 50 more things about Jesus, do you think you would know everything? No. If you learned a thousand more things about Jesus, do you think you would know everything? No. How many more things would you need to know about Jesus? And somebody goes, we could never learn everything there is to learn. One of my really smart kids. Yeah. And I said, that's right. I said, that's why we know that God is still working because we keep learning. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. always something new to learn. We can never learn it all. So don't slow down. Don't, don't, don't know, stop when you think you're don't done. Don't assume like we're pacing ourselves here. Like, no, learn everything because there's always more to learn. And epiphany, the original meaning of the word epiphany is meeting God in the world. Yep. Meeting the deity. It has come to mean anytime we have an aha moment right. or we have learned something like Eureka. But the original meaning was was meeting God in the world. And so after the kids had gone off to Sunday school, I asked the congregation, what do you know about the wise ones? Mm-hmm. And what do you not know about the wise ones? And I said, we'll do a pop quiz because we love doing pop quizzes at my church. <laughs> How many of them were there? And very few people dared to shout three. Because <laughs> they're like, this is definitely a trick question. Because they know this is a trick question. I said, that's right. We don't know how many there there were. I said, how many of them were men and how many of them were women? Nobody knew that either. How many gifts did they bring? 
And they all looked at each other like, we think it's three. <laughs> We're told about three of the gifts. So three. And I said, okay, well, what do those gifts mean? And somebody had the like whole explanation for it. I said, no, actually, <laughs> those things didn't come to mean that until much later. Yeah. So, you know, some people think that the gold represents the glory of God and the frankincense, the, mm-hmm. the ruling class and the myrrh is like a symbol of death. But really... It's just expensive stuff that it's you might have. It's just expensive stuff that it's you like would... just the most expensive things that they might have owned they're bringing to this child. So we don't know much about them. We don't know if they were from seven miles away or 700 miles That's away. Right. We don't know whether they were Zoroastrians. Or, or scholars, scholars. Or, or hippies. <laughs> or astrologists. Mm-hmm. We, we don't really know that much about them. Here's what we do know. What we do know is in the Bible... The story is often more important than the facts. Really? Which freaks out the postmodern mind because we like to think that there is a fact for everything. Nope. But the way that ancient people told stories was to tell you something about the people and not to tell you something about what happened on July 9th at 8 a.m. in the morning. Right. Um, they tell you the meaning mm-hmm. and not necessarily the data. Right. So here's what we do know about these mysterious strangers. We know that they were very, very different. Mm-hmm. They were noticeable. Noticeably different from the people in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We know that they studied. Mm-hmm. We know that they paid attention to the world around them. So they studied, but they didn't keep their noses stuck in a book. Right. They were trying to make that what they studied applicable to life. Right. So they, they had studied and they came up with this theory like we think that the child is going to be born when the star shows up in the sky. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's the star star shows up in the sky and they decide, well, we've seen the star because we've been paying attention to the world around us. So then the third thing they do is they're willing to seek confirmation. Mm -hmm. We have this theory and rather than assume that we're right, we're going to go test it. Right. And so they go test their theory, willing to seek confirmation. They're willing to ask questions. They're willing to ask stupid questions Mm -hmm. because I mean, how crazy do you have to be to walk up to a king, a narcissistic, power hungry, insecure king yeah. and mm. say, hey, we heard your replacement was just born. Mm. Do you know where we can find him? him? Like that takes a certain amount of either spine or apathy. I have no idea what, uh, yeah. but these guys were willing to ask a stupid question. Even when they asked the wrong guy, they were mm-hmm. willing to ask the question. And despite asking the wrong guy, they got the information they needed. needed right. So that was cool. Um, so they were willing to ask questions. And then once they had confirmation mm-hmm. of their theory, they did three things. One, they expressed gratitude. Yep. So they it says they knelt down and worshipped him. Worship for us is focusing all of your grateful attention on God. Yep. And so they, they said thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's so cool. Yep. The second thing they did was they were generous with what they had learned. Mm. God had revealed something to them and they weren't quiet about it. They weren't secretive mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. They sort of said, you guys, this is what we learned. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, and then finally, they did not set up camp Mm-mm. where the revelation happened. They kept going. They went home. Mm-hmm. And finally, they stayed vigilant. Mm. They didn't assume that because they'd had this pretty extraordinary revelation from yeah. God, that they were all done. Yeah. Uh, that God was going to keep speaking. And so they didn't get lazy or complacent. They stayed vigilant, which is how they got the word that they mm-hmm. were supposed to go home a different way. Right. And so I said, if, we're, if we want to live that Magi life, if we want to be wise ones who find Jesus in the world and who have epiphanies, mm-hmm. do we study? Yes. Do we take time 
to read the things that we have from other people about what they have learned. Yes. Um, do we pay attention to the world around us? Do we not just come up with nice theories, but do we pay attention? Do we step outside of our doors and look around? Do we, God forbid, watch the news and no. see what's happening? Do we study? Do we pay attention to the world around us? And are we willing to seek confirmation? Are we willing to assume that we might be wrong? That we might need somebody else's input yeah. on this? Are we willing to ask stupid questions so that we actually get to the heart of the information? Yeah. Instead of saying... Somebody is saying something that makes me uncomfortable. I will refuse to engage with them. Do we, are we willing to like find out what's going on there? Yeah. Do we express gratitude when something disrupts us a little bit? Mm. That one's, that one's a hard, that's a hard spiritual discipline to learn. That's very hard. Do we share what we've learned? This one's also hard because we don't like to talk about God in mixed company. <laughs> it's a little bit taboo, particularly in Nevada, but in the United States in general, it's not our culture to just be like, oh my gosh, hello, new friend. Let me tell you about what God's doing in my life. <laughs> and yeah. Well, and, and to do that well so that somebody can actually hear you. Yeah. That's... Well, and what, what I've told my congregation before is we need to be better at evangelism. Mm-hmm. And evangelism is tricky when what your theology is, is we don't have all the answers. Yeah. Because usually what people are looking for is all the answers. But it's okay for us to say, you know, God has been working on me and I have been able to let go of this grudge that I was holding. Mm-hmm. Or God has been working on me and I'm finding myself more and more curious about this issue or this type of person that I right. don't know well. Or God has been working on me and I find myself more at peace even when things around me are chaos. Yeah. But to be able to say, this, this is the effect that I'm seeing in my life and this is what I attribute it to is I think less scary than saying, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord Lord and Savior? Savior. Because that's not our job. No. Our job is to say, God has been working on me and to be generous with what we've learned and then not to set up camp on those mountaintop experiences. So hard. But to go back into our lives and carry it with us because it will take us a different way. Mm -hmm. It will require us to stay vigilant, to assume that God still is teaching us things. Right. And that, that we might have to be a little less comfortable. Yeah. I think one of the things I find hardest to point out to people who have had a magnificent experience of God and in your, you're, you're right on the edge of it is that God's not done just because you got one revelation. Don't live as if that's the only thing God's ever going to say to you. Right. Well, so uh, Devin is one of the young adults at the church and mm-hmm. he's beginning the process and he uh, process for Ordination. serving the church. Yeah. And and he's brilliant. He he listens to all the podcasts about all the things and he reads all the books and he does all the things. And so every once in a while he comes at me and he says something like, I was just reading it the day or I just heard somebody say, mm. and it's always something brilliant, you know? Right. And he said, progressive Christians have done a lot of deconstruction mm-hmm. and have done a lot of reconstruction, but that it's part of a cycle. Oh yeah. That we sort of, we deconstruct for a while and then we have to build something back and then that works for a little while and then we have to deconstruct it and build something back. Definitely. And he says, so we should be perhaps a little bit less critical of theologies that are more elementary than our own mm. because sometimes we have to start somewhere. Right. right. And so it's okay if then it gets deconstructed and God teaches right. you something new. Yeah. But you have to get people in on the ground level. Oh, you I can't agree. expect people to come in at the 24th floor and oh, understand never, what's never, going on. Never. I, it's just, it's just, it, I just have experienced recently, you know, just a little bit more of that. Like how do, how do I help them see? Mm-hmm. How do I help someone see a little bit? A little more. bit farther. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more. Well, then I think, like, it's certainly true that our church is not great at that. Mm-hmm. And even when there are people who come in who are fresh-faced and dewy-eyed, like, that have a very basic theology that perhaps includes some some things that we find problematic, 
there is not a lot of space for people to begin to work out mm-hmm. the nuances. Yeah. Um, to, to increase the depth of those things. Mm-hmm. And what often happens is they just go, somebody just said something that I don't agree with, and then they're out. Right. And that can be tricky right. because I think we're called to help people take the next step and the next step and the next step. Yeah. I guess the point of my epiphany sermon was just that Jesus does not make life more comfortable. <laughs> Jesus does not make you fit in more. Mm-mm. Jesus does not help you be successful. Mm-hmm. What Jesus does is it makes you no longer at ease with a world that worships false idols. Amen. Jesus makes you no longer comfortable with royal pretenders. Mm. Um, Jesus helps you see things in a different way and perhaps be a little bit more dissatisfied with things the way they are. Yep. Uh, Because when you have experienced this kind of epiphany, when you have met God in the world, nothing is the same afterwards, and it's certainly not any easier. Nope. Uh, You might have a few more targets on your back. Mm Mm-hmm. And you might be heading down a strange and unfamiliar road, but my thought is that that road goes somewhere. Right. And it goes somewhere you want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I talked about um, a particularly I mean, uncomfortable epiphany. Sometimes we forget the journey is, is what we're supposed to be on, mm-hmm. not the solution. We're talking, I was talking to Devin and I said, when in John 14, when Jesus was talking about going ahead to prepare a place for us, mm-hmm. you know, we both grew up in kind of more conservative churches. And that was definitely like, Jesus is preparing your mansion in heaven. Right. And then you can just settle in and, I don't know, watch the game on TV. I don't know what we thought that was going to be about. Right. But the word that is translated is monai, which is like stopping place. Mm. It's like if you're on a very long journey, then there would be these like little oases along the way. And you would send somebody ahead to prepare the place for the traveling party. Right. So they would go and they say, we got 10 people coming in. <laughs> they yeah. prepare 10 beds or whatever. Right. Get, and so, but it gather wasn't enough a, food and enough water for... But it wasn't a place that you stayed. No. It was a place that you you rested for a minute and then you kept going on. Yeah. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, I don't like to think of like, and then it will be there forever. No, it's, no. We're on this continuing and when, journey. And when you see it that way, you realize you have experienced those places. Yeah. That's when you look back and you go, oh yeah, 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 yeah. There was a resting place. There was, there was a resting place. place. So, so I talked about um, epiphany that was not comfortable because sometimes epiphanies are sweet babies in their mother's laps and isn't that great. Yeah. Sometimes epiphanies are those sunsets on tops of mountains when everything is glorious and beautiful and you feel inspired and connected. Can it's, I share my, my silly epiphany? Yeah, tell us your silly one. Yesterday was the start of Girl Scout cookies. It really is oh, 2018. No. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's January. It's January. Oh. Anyway, well, discipline, 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 um, discipline. Uh, sometimes if, uh, one of my silliest epiphanies happened while reading Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I got to the part where Hermione and Ron have been waiting up for Harry because he's had his first kiss with Cho Chang. And Ron asked him how it was. And Harry says it was wet because she was crying. Yeah. And Hermione goes, well, can't you understand why she feels that way? And Harry goes, well, what's she feeling? And Hermione names off like, like 10 15 or 15 things. feelings that are all really intense kinds of things. And Ron says, you couldn't feel all those things at once. You'd explode. And Hermione says, just because you've got the emotional capacity of a teaspoon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so as I was reading Harry Potter, I was thinking about this and I was like, the emotional capacity of a teaspoon. I thought, I thought my first reaction was, I think I'm pretty socially and like emotionally aware. And then I thought, but compared to God, yeah, I have the emotional capacity of a teaspoon. And then it went on from there. But it was just this moment of like, I want to make God happy because there's a lot of things that make God sad. (laughs) In any case. Any case. So the, your uncomfortable epiphany. The uncomfortable epiphany. In 1955, August of 1955, a young boy, he's 14 years old, went from his family's house in Chicago to visit relatives in Mississippi. And when he was on his way, 
His mother told him, if a white man looks you in the eye, look away. Mm. And so young Emmett went to visit his family in Mississippi. And while his grandfather was preaching, they snuck out of the back of the church and went down to the local grocery store to buy some candy. Mm. The local grocery store was owned by a young white couple, 24-year-old Roy Bryant, who was away, and 21-year-old Carolyn Bryant, who was working that day. And Carolyn Bryant accused Emmett of coming on to her, and Mm. how dare he, because this was in the midst of Jim Crow, Mississippi. Right. Emmett Till and his cousins ran away. She accused him of whistling at her. Now, there were a couple things that Carolyn didn't know. She didn't know that Emmett Till had a speech impediment, Mm. and he couldn't say the letter B. And so anytime he had to say a word that started with the letter B, he would whistle to himself as like a self-soothing technique Mm. to help. It was something that his mother had taught him to do. And she also didn't know that he was watching a very intense game of checkers that his cousin was playing in front of the (laughs) store. So whether he was whistling to stop stuttering or whistling at the checkers or even whistling at Carolyn Bryant, they went away. And when her husband got home from his trip four days later, Roy Bryant and his brother-in-law, J.W. Millam, broke into the house where... Emmett Till was staying and abducted him in front of his family who were powerless to stop him. Mm. They beat him and mutilated him and they tried to hide his body in the Tallahatchie River, but it surfaced a few days later Mm. and the body was sent to Chicago to his mother, Mamie Till Bradley. And Mamie Till Bradley saw what had been done to her son Mm -hmm. and said that even though it was uncomfortable for her, she wanted to have an open casket And when she decided to have an open casket, every newspaper published a photo Mm. of this disfigured and bloated body of her son. And it was a spark. Mm. It was a spark that horrified the nation. And everybody went, we have to be better than that. What's interesting is that the law enforcement, before the photos were published, were decrying these two men who had done this awful thing and saying we need to bring people to justice and this that and the other and as soon as the rest of the nation said this is horrifying law enforcement got really defensive and started defending the people of mississippi Mm. and defending so it's interesting how that happens too the two men were acquitted by an all-white jury and as soon as they were acquitted by the all-white jury they admitted to publications that they had killed emmett till Mm. uh, because they're protected by double jeopardy laws afterwards they tried to stay in mississippi but they were boycotted and threatened and humiliated by the locals and they were basically chased away from their home Mm -hmm. because people said it's not okay what you did is not okay so this was a catalyst for the civil rights movement Uh, just three months later in december 1955 the montgomery bus boycott started which lasted over a year and led to the supreme court decision that ended segregation in the south yep which is very cool When Bryant died, when Roy Bryant died on his deathbed, somebody asked him if he regretted what he'd done. Mm. And he said, Emmett Till is dead. I don't know why he can't just stay dead. Mm. And there is something in me that loves that. Yeah. That the truth doesn't stay dead. Nope. That God continues to work and to open eyes, even when it's ugly, and perhaps Mm -hmm. more especially when it's ugly, because the people of the country said, we have to be better than this. This is not who God wants us to be. And they did all these things. They they studied, they tested their theories, they decided they needed to change, and then they changed. Mm -hmm. They went a different way. Uh, It was an epiphany for the whole country, but it wasn't comfortable, and it wasn't sweet, and it wasn't kind. 
On her deathbed, Carolyn Bryant admitted that she lied. Hmm. That Emmett Till never said anything to her. He never touched her. He didn't whistle at her. Hmm. And that she admitted this about a year ago. And I remember being horrified. Yeah. And not surprised. Right. And then it sort of turned into grateful that she would admit something so heinous about herself. Mm. She couldn't live up to it while she was alive, but that she couldn't admit something so that she could admit something so heinous about herself so that all of the people who had suspected that it had been true, who had been doubting themselves, doubting their own minds, realized like, no, it really was that bad. It really was. It was a way of justifying sort of their own thoughts. Mm hmm. Um, and their own, what feels like paranoia. It's one of the ways that racism breaks people down. Yeah. Is that they go, well, is, that, is that because I'm black or is that because of something else? Yeah. Um, whenever they're unfairly treated. And so she admitted, um, she admitted that nothing had happened. It was an uncomfortable epiphany for everyone. Mm-hmm. But, and one that continued. I mean, like, and one this, that is, continues. this was not a, a, an epiphany that happened just once. Yeah. We come up against it. Each and every time we... Yeah. And Mamie Till Bradley was willing to help the country see something they weren't willing to see. Mm -hmm. At her own expense. At her own expense. And the country had to have the courage to look. And then other people had to have the courage to admit the truth. Mm -hmm. And so epiphany can be costly. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that whenever we recognize that something is not just, is not loving, is not good, and we change it... That we have had an encounter with God. Yeah. We have had something that has changed our hearts. And it's not easy, but it's good. Yep. So I told people, I don't wish for you a happy 2018. (laughs) I don't wish for you a comfortable 2018. I don't wish for you a prosperous 2018. I wish for you an awake 2018, an aware 2018, a convicted 2018, a courageous 2018. I wish for you a year in which you are not afraid to see God. Amen. I wish for you a year in which you were not afraid to be changed because that's the only way any of this work ever happens. Yep. So and true. that was the sermon. Lovely. Yeah. It's always nice to start off the, the new year with a murder of a child. Yeah. Yeah. And one of those things that reminds us of why we have to continue to do the hard work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. If you have questions for us or stories that relate to our, the topics discussed, uh, shoot us an email at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com or visit our blog at sundaymorningsleepin.com. The scripture for this podcast is Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. And um, the theme music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. It's traditional at the end of a worship service for the priest to deliver a blessing. Uh, you have been blessed. You have had some kind of epiphany. You found our podcast for Sherzies. It's full of chock full of good things. You have been blessed. The question is not, have you been blessed? Has God showed up in your life? Have you met God? The question is, have you noticed? Mm-hmm. Have you given thanks? Have you been able to, to take that experience and use it to change yourself or change the world around you for the better? Uh, how will you bless others? How will you listen? How will you serve? How will you seek justice? How will you love? However you live into your own skin this week, we hope that you go forth and recognize that God is all around you. Every bush is a fire with God. May you have the eyes to see it. Amen. Amen. Amen.